Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. And this is where that money has been going, is to acquire control over these groups and institutions by buying up influence and control over the people who run them. That means that they are buying up politicians, political parties, television networks, cable networks, newspapers, magazines, publishing houses, wire services, motion picture studios, universities, labor unions, church organizations, trade associations, tax-exempt foundations, multinational corporations, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you name it. Any group, any institution which exercises influence has been a target for control, and they have a lot of money to spend to acquire that control. Warning. You are about to enter the Reality Zone, a place where truth is stranger than fiction, where knowledge is king, where myths are shattered and deceptions exposed. It's a place where the lessons of history are found and where true life adventures reveal the hidden nature of man. If you proceed, you will not be able to return to the Twilight Zone from which you came. You have five seconds remaining to escape. Welcome to the Reality Zone. I'm Ed Griffin. The program we are about to hear is taken from a recording of a presentation I made shortly after the publication of my book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, A Second Look at the Federal Reserve. It's embarrassing for me to have one of my own works as the very first program in the audio archive series. But the reason we're doing that is because at the conclusion of the book, I urged my readers to join the growing crusade to abolish the Fed. I said that if they contacted me, I would tell them about the tools they could use to help spread the word and become more effective in the battle. Well, much to my surprise and delight, thousands of them actually accepted my invitation, and they did write to me and volunteered for the crusade. But the embarrassing part was that I didn't have materials to keep my end of the bargain. The bottom line is that we couldn't wait any longer to get this program into production, because it's my hope that it will help to fill that void. And so here it is, as recorded live in Los Angeles, California, on November 18, 1994, my presentation on the Federal Reserve, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Thank you, Ernie, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Although, Ernie, I have to tell you, I think I like the short introduction better. <laughs> I guess there was a lot of traffic out there tonight, so we're getting started quite late. So I think I'll dispense with the usual jokes and all the preliminary remarks and jump right into the topic. And to try and give it some kind of historical perspective, I'd like to go back to the first century BC, to a tiny kingdom called Phrygia. It was in Phrygia that there was a philosopher by the name of Epictetus. 
And it was Epictetus who said, appearances are of four kinds. Things either are as they appear to be, or they neither are nor appear to be, or they are but do not appear to be, or they are not and yet appear to be. <laughs> There'll be a quiz on this. When I read that statement, I was sure that if Epictetus were alive today, he probably would be a Harvard professor of banking and economics. Because doesn't that sound like the kind of explanations that we get when you read through the Federal Reserve bulletins trying to tell you what the money aggregates are and that kind of thing? See, what Epictetus did was he took a relatively simple concept, but by the time he was through explaining it, we didn't have any idea what he was talking about. And this is so commonly done today by the experts. Nevertheless, I thought that his statement was pretty good because it provided us with a track to run on, kind of a theme for this presentation. Because you know, if there's anything in the world that is an appearance which is deceiving, it is the Federal Reserve System. In fact, it is one of those appearances of the fourth kind, which I'm sure you all remember, were those appearances which are not and yet appear to be. So I'd like to use that as my theme for this topic and come back to it now and then during the progress of this presentation if I remember to do that and use it as a punctuation point here and there and as a reminder of one of the most important aspects about the Federal Reserve System that there is to comprehend and that is that there are a lot of deceptive appearances going on here. I think the best place to begin our story is with the creation of the Federal Reserve System itself. In fact, that takes us right to the reason for the title of the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. For those of you who are not yet familiar with the background of this story, you should know that Jekyll Island is a real island. It's off the coast of Georgia, and it was on that island in 1910 that the Federal Reserve System was conceived at a highly secret meeting that took place there. When things are done in secret, there's usually something to hide. And so I'd like to tell you that story and document it so that we can find out, first of all, that there was a meeting, that the Federal Reserve was indeed created there, that indeed there was a great deal of secrecy, and then we'll ask the question, why the secrecy? In 1910, Jekyll Island was completely owned by a small group of millionaires from New York. People such as J.P. Morgan, William Rockefeller, and their associates. This is where their families came to spend the winter months. It was a, a resort island. It was called the Jekyll Island Club. And on the island, there was a magnificent clubhouse, which was the center of their social activities. You can visit that clubhouse today, as a matter of fact. The island has since been purchased by the state of Georgia, and the clubhouse has been fully restored. It's a beautiful thing. And if you take the tour, you can walk down the corridor there, and there will be a room, and on the door to that room is a brass plaque, and it says, the Federal Reserve System was created in this room. So there's no secret about this part of it. It's a matter of public record. So this is how that story came to pass. It was November of that year, 1910, 
When Senator Nelson Aldridge sent his private railroad car to the New Jersey Railroad Station late in the evening, and there it was in readiness for the arrival of himself and six other men who were told to come under conditions of extreme secrecy. For example, they were told to come one at a time, not to dine with each other on the night of their departure. They were told to avoid arriving at the same time if they could. If they should happen to show up at the same time, they were instructed to pretend not to even know each other. They had to avoid newspaper reporters because they were well-known people, and newspaper reporters often frequented the railroad station. Had they been seen, questions would have been asked, especially if several of them had been seen together. One of the men carried a shotgun in a big black case, so that if he had been asked where he was going, he was prepared to say that he was going on a duck hunting trip. The interesting thing about that is that we find out from his biography that this man never fired a gun in his life. He didn't even own one. He borrowed that shotgun just for the purpose of deception and camouflage. Even after they got on board this private railroad car, this pattern continued. They were instructed to use their first names only to avoid last names, and a couple of them even abandoned their first names and chose code names. The reason for that was so that the servants on board the train would not know who these men were, because they were afraid if the servants had talked about it, word had leaked out in that fashion, then the purpose of the meeting could have been defeated. So absolute secrecy was essential all the way up and down the line. The private railroad car traveled for two nights and a day on a 1,000-mile journey to the south. And when they awoke the second morning, the car was on the siding at Brunswick, Georgia. There they took a ferry boat across the Inland Strait to Jekyll Island, then to the clubhouse, and for the next nine days, they sat around a table and they hammered out all of the important details of what eventually became the Federal Reserve System. When they were done, they went back to New York. And for quite a few years after that, they denied that such a meeting ever took place. It wasn't until after the Federal Reserve System was firmly established that only then did they begin to talk openly about their meeting and what they accomplished there. Several of them wrote books on it, one of them wrote a magazine article, and they gave interviews to newspaper reporters. And so now, many years later, it's possible for us to go back to the public record and discover in minute detail exactly what happened on Jekyll Island in 1910. Now, who were these seven men? The first one I've already mentioned, Senator Nelson Aldridge. He was the fellow that owned the private railroad car. He was the Republican whip in the Senate. He was chairman of the National Monetary Commission, which was that special committee of Congress created to make a recommendation for legislative reform Banking reform, they called it. They wanted to reform banking in America because the American people were very concerned over the concentration of financial power into the hands of a small group of banks and investment firms in New York on Wall Street. That is what they called the money trust. That was a popular phrase. 
In fact, quite a few politicians had been successfully elected to office on their campaign promise to break the grip of the money trust. And that was one of the primary purposes of the National Monetary Commission, of which Senator Aldridge was chairman. He was also a business associate of J.P. Morgan. He was the father-in-law of John D. Rockefeller, Jr., which means, of course, that eventually he became the grandfather of Nelson Rockefeller, our former vice president. Remember, his full name was Nelson Aldridge Rockefeller, so he derived his middle name from his famous grandfather. The second man at the meeting was Abraham Piat Andrew, Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. Later, he became a congressman, and throughout his career, he was very important in banking circles. The third man there was Frank Vanderlip, president of the National City Bank of New York, the largest and most powerful of all the banks in America. Representing the financial interests of William Rockefeller, and the international investment firm of Kuhn, Loeb & Company. Henry Davison was there. He was the senior partner of the J.P. Morgan Company. Charles Norton was there, president of the First National Bank of New York, another one of the giants. Also, there was Benjamin Strong, head of J.P. Morgan's Bankers Trust Company. And incidentally, Benjamin Strong Three years later, when the Federal Reserve Act was finally passed, he became the first head of the Federal Reserve System. And finally, last but certainly not least, Paul Warburg was there, probably the most important man because of his knowledge of banking in Europe. Warburg was born in Germany, eventually became a naturalized American citizen. He was a partner in Kuhn Loben Company. But he was also a representative of the Rothschild banking dynasty in England and France. And throughout his whole banking career, he maintained close business liaison with his brother, Max Warburg, who was head of the Warburg Banking Consortium in Germany and the Netherlands. Paul Warburg was one of the wealthiest men in the world. But those are the seven men on Jekyll Island. And as incredible as it may seem, these men represented directly and indirectly approximately one-fourth of the wealth of the entire world in those days. And these are the men who sat around a table on Jekyll Island and created the Federal Reserve System. Does it arouse your curiosity? What's going on here? Now, for the skeptics who are here tonight, and I hope there are plenty, because if there aren't, I feel like the minister talking to the choir. I know there are always plenty of skeptics in my audiences, and that makes me feel very good. For the skeptics, you're probably wondering, did it really happen that way? Surely Griffin is exaggerating to make a point. Well, yes, it really happened that way, and I'd like to illustrate that by quoting for you just one piece of evidence here. This was taken from an article that was written by Frank Vanderlip himself that appeared in the Saturday Evening Post on February 9, 1935. Remember, Vanderlip was one of those at the meeting. And this is what he said. 
I do not feel it is any exaggeration to speak of our secret expedition to Jekyll Island as the occasion of the actual conception of what eventually became the Federal Reserve System. We were told to leave our last names behind us. We were told further that we should avoid dining together on the night of our departure. We were instructed to come one at a time and as unobtrusively as possible to the railroad terminal on the New Jersey littoral of the Hudson where Senator Aldridge's private car would be in readiness attached to the rear end of a train to the south. Once aboard the private car, we began to observe the taboo that had been fixed on last names. We addressed one another as Ben, Paul, Nelson, and Abe. Davison and I adopted even deeper disguises, abandoning our first names. On the theory that we were always right, he became Wilbur and I became Orville, after those two aviation pioneers, the Wright brothers. The servants and train crew may have known the identities of one or two of us, but they did not know all. And it was the names of all printed together that would have made our mysterious journey significant in Washington, in Wall Street, even in London. Discovery we knew simply must not happen. Well, why? Why the secrecy? What's the big deal here? What's wrong with a group of bankers going to a private location and discussing banking or banking legislation? And the answer to that is provided by Vanderlip himself in the same article. He said, if it were to be exposed publicly that our particular group had got together and written a banking bill, that bill would have no chance whatever of passage by Congress. Why not? because the purpose of the bill was to break the grip of the money trust. And ladies and gentlemen, it was written by the money trust. It's as simple as that. Had the public been aware of that fact, at the beginning we would never have had a Federal Reserve System. That was like asking the fox to build the hen house and install the security system. Absolute secrecy was essential for that reason. Congress would never have gone for it. The public would never have gone for it. So there we're face to face with a very important fact about the Federal Reserve System that is not generally known today. It certainly wasn't known then. And that it was formed in secrecy because there was deception at work here. But there's more to it than that, much, much more. Analyze for a moment the composition of that group. Doesn't it seem strange to you that these men were all together? Here we had the Morgans, the Rockefellers, Kuhn Loeb and Company, the Rothschilds, the Warburgs, all sitting around a table here coming to an agreement. Anything strange about that mixture? Well, ladies and gentlemen, these were competitors. What's going on here? Competitors sitting around, coming to an agreement. These were the giants in the investment field, which prior to this period were beating their heads against each other, blood all over the battlefields, fighting for dominance in the financial markets of the world, not only in New York, but Paris and London, everywhere. And they're coming to an agreement of some kind. This is an extremely important fact that is generally overlooked. 
because it happened precisely at that point in American history, which is sometimes described in our history books as the period of the dawning of the cartel. This was that point in American history when a major ideological transition was taking place in business. Big businesses which had grown to great power and size and prosperity through the process of free enterprise competition, which is what made this nation great and allowed us to surpass the old world, now were in the throes of converting their ideology to that of monopoly, the avoidance of competition. It was John D. Rockefeller I who said it, he said, competition is a sin. And it became the destiny of these people to avoid competition now at all costs. Their life effort was to eliminate their competition if they could. If that was impossible, then to buy them out. If that was impossible, then to join with them in a shared monopoly, which is called a cartel. And this was the period of history when that transition was taking place very rapidly in all industries. For the 15-year period prior to the meeting on Jekyll Island, these financial groups of which we are speaking had increasingly come together in joint ventures rather than compete with each other. They found that it worked. They liked it. And the meeting on Jekyll Island was the culmination of that process. And now we come to the second astounding realization about the Federal Reserve System is that it is not a government operation at all. It is, in fact, a cartel. They created a banking cartel and legalized it by law, passed a law to make it legal and to enforce it. That is an amazing understanding of the Federal Reserve that you're not going to find taught in your textbooks. It is a cartel. But there is a third element that is even more important than those two for an understanding of what it's doing to us. And the third element that we must understand is that this cartel went into partnership with the government. Cartels often do that to enforce their cartel agreements, but in this case they did it in spades. Now, when a partnership is formed, there has to be a reason. There has to be a benefit for the partners or they're not going to do it. So it's a legitimate area of inquiry for us to know and to ask, what's the payoff to these partners? Why did they do that? Why is the government in it? What does it get out of it? And then we'll ask and find out why the cartel is in it and what it gets out of it. In order to see how that functions, we must examine now the mechanism by which the Federal Reserve System creates money. How does money come into being in our country? I call it the Mandrake Mechanism, named after that comic book character of the 40s, Mandrake the Magician. Before I go into this, I need to warn you folks about one thing. Don't try and make sense out of this, because it doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense. Just remember that this is your good old-fashioned scam, and you'll be able to understand it pretty well. 
Furthermore, I want to tell you that I'm going to make this sound very simple because I'm stripping out of it all of the banker language and all of the accounting terminology, and I'll speak it as best I can in plain old English. But I can assure you, even though it may sound like it's ridiculously simple, I can assure you that every part of this is 100% accurate from a technical point of view. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.